that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, and I think we've done it. We have been recording all these position group breakdowns that we're going to be dropping in in the month of July because we all have some vacation coming up. We want to make sure that we keep the podcast going, which we will, but we're not going to all three be together at times. So we want to have the podcast where all three of us are together. We just ran off three position group podcasts today on Thursday, and now we're recording the Friday podcast. I think I never thought it would happen. They said it couldn't be done. Guys, I think I'm talked out. Well, we'll yeah. see. You're skeptical? I'm skeptical. We've still got it. We're, we're recording right now, aren't we? I know, but I don't mm. – I, I usually love to talk. Now I only 90% love to talk. I'm getting a little sick of my are own you, voice. I are you sick of talking or are you sick of talking to us? That's a major difference right there. I, I'm sick of wearing headphones. I'm sick of looking at there a computer screen. If I could just sit on my porch and shout at the kids riding their bikes past – that I still want to do. I don't want to have to formally talk. My ears are sweating. Um, so this is what we're doing. When will Ohio State take the lead in the Michigan series? And we are doing it because of you. This is a theoretical brain teaser podcast. And so it's going to be a little different, but I think it's kind of interesting. But it's hard, like I said, it's, it's going to be hard for us to, like, have a fight about it because this is hard to, like, be, you know, how dare you say 2044, that's a crazy, that's a crazy answer, you're an idiot. Which, you know, sometimes when we talk, you can say that stuff. But it's a little harder to do here, but it came from two separate questions. One was from the 513. This person says this person originally thought Ohio State could take the series lead in 2029. This is when we did the podcast of when will Michigan next beat Ohio State in the series. And this person back then already made this jump. And they were thinking about when do you take it over? They predicted 2029 at the end of their, their text message. They said, does Ohio State take over the all-time series lead for Michigan what year? And that got me thinking about this. And then someone else from the 440 said, I have a question that I was thinking about from the Monday pod when we talked about when will Michigan next beat Ohio State. Pretty similar, but when does Michigan take the lead? This person thought in 2027, will Ohio State take the one-game lead? And if not, what year do you think it will happen? So what the deal is, is Ohio State, and if we, have to, we have to lay the parameters here first. Ohio State, if they keep winning, would take the lead in either 2026 or 2027. And here's the issue, and we have to talk about this first. But thank you to our texters who came up with this idea. The issue is this. The vacated win in 2010. Because on the field, the series record right now is 58, 52, and 6. If you vacate 2010, it's 58, 51. And six. And I contend, Nathan, that if things stay as they are, this will be a gigantic fight between the fan bases as this approaches. And as we're getting ready for, well, is Ohio State going to tie Michigan or still be one behind? And now is Ohio State tied or now they won ahead? Knowing what you know about this rivalry, knowing how people feel about vacated wins, 
Do you think this potentially could be a big deal down the line or no? I think it could be a, p- a point of contention, absolutely. And I think this has kind of come up in some other rivalries over the years throughout college sports. I meant to look this up and I forgot, but I just I'm, I'm remembering some things that I've heard over the years of some similar rivalries where there's question of like, well, where does that win count or how does that win count or some discrepancy from like 1902 of who won this game or whatever. So yeah, I, I think it'll absolutely matter because these teams as on this trajectory, it's going to start to get pretty close pretty fast. And the the deal of this is that it has never happened. Ohio State has never been ahead in the whole series because the series began with Michigan taking a 13-0-2 lead. Michigan won 13 of the first 15, and there were two ties back when it wasn't a thing, right? That's the thing about rivalries or the thing about tradition. Sometimes, oh, well, this thing was taking place for decades before we really even knew it was a deal, and then we decided to make it a deal once we did it 20 or 30 times. So I don't know 100% what people were thinking about the rivalry in the early 1900s, but Michigan didn't lose in the first 15 games. Nathan or Steven, am I making too big a deal of this? Could it just be like whatever, or do you think it's a fight? No, I think it's going to be a fight. I think the moment that this, let's just say Ohio state wins the next six games and it's 58 to 57. There are definitely going to be people out there who are going to be screaming. It is now 58 to 58 and that win shouldn't be vacated. Here is an interesting point, and we asked texters about this. We asked texters to predict when it will happen, and we asked for their comments. From the 513, Doug, the Ohio State win was vacated, but the loss for Michigan was not. Therefore, Michigan's record is 58-52-6. Ohio State's record is 51-58-6. And And I think that might be right, but, oh, my God, is that confusing. Like, that's – because if you look at Michigan's record book, it doesn't vacate their loss to Ohio State in 2010. But if you look in Ohio State's record book, it does vacate the win. Nathan, this is probably actually correct, which only makes what is looming worse, right? If you have yeah. two different records in the same series. It's really annoyingly probably correct. And um, and maybe that's going to end up being the way in which we end up writing about this is that it's not going to be in a definitive way as to who this is going to become part of the Ohio state Michigan narrative that this is one of the bones of contention who actually is leading the series, which will stink. Oh, it's terrible. Can you imagine? I mean, like, and it's one of those things, one of those stories, like, well, we have to call experts who don't there. What are you an expert on? You're an expert on how the perception of vacated wins, you know, you're the perception of like a dual realities. What, but we're going to be trying to write about it from the two one six. I reject your premise because when I sent this out to the tech subscribers, I said, listen, this is going to be a deal. But for now, we are going base your answer on the idea that it is vacated. Base your answer for when Ohio State takes the lead on the idea that it's 58, 51 and six right now, not 58, 52 and six, just because, you know, there are going to be some Michigan fans who say that even if Ohio State fans want to close their eyes and say it didn't happen you know, there's going to be a fight about it. So that's what I said. Deal with it that way. They said, I reject your premise from the 216. 2010 absolutely counts, and I will fight anyone who says it doesn't. A few players trading in some of their personally owned property for for tattoos does not erase what happened on the field. Rant over. Thanks for letting me voice that. Steven, do you get that? If an Ohio State fan wants to view it that way, is that reasonable? Uh, whether it's correct or not, yeah, it's reasonable for you to want to do that. That doesn't mean it's the correct thing that you should be doing. 
from the 216. The 2010 win will be reinstated. There's no reason to not reinstate it when players can sign name, image, and likeness contracts. Could that happen? And if you look back, there's stories about it. There was a lawsuit. Joe Paterno's wins at Penn State were initially vacated by the NCAA. There was a lawsuit, and part of the deal that was reached was that they unvacated them. They reinstated those Paterno wins. Nathan, you have written about name, image, and likeness more than any of us. You just wrote something about it the other day while former Ohio State President Michael Drake was testifying in Washington. Do you think it's possible that in this new world – the NCAA could look back and say, you know what, if we punished you for something that really is now allowed, we're going to we're going to reinstate that victory. A little skeptical of that, um, only because it was the rule at the time. It was a known rule. It wasn't a I don't think a gray area. I think people knew that they um, were outside the bounds of the NCA when they did those things. And as, as ridiculous as we might see that and as unjust as we might, some people might see that in, uh, in an economic sense, it was still the rule and it was broken. So I, I don't know. It, 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 it I, I think they're going to hesitate to make that precedent because then what stops the next person from saying, well, that means I can break this rule because I think it will probably get changed down the line. Because And you do get punished. It's not like vacating wins is the only thing that they punish people for. And I think a lot of people think vacating wins is kind of silly, right, anyway. Where are you generally, Stephen, where are you generally on the NCAA using that as part of its punishment? Retroactively taking a team that, that had success and saying, well, you broke rules during it. You had an ineligible player during it. In the record books, now we're no longer recognizing what happened on the field or the court. Do you understand why the NCAA does that, or do you think it's dumb? I think it's dumb. I think it's punishing an entire group. Regardless of what the infraction was, you're punishing an entire group for the actions of one or two people. And it's, you. I mean, you're erasing it from a record book, but we all know what happened. People were out to get, the game happened. And so, yo, you punish those individuals for doing that one thing, and the game happened. You can't take that out of people's memory. The people who went to the game, the people who watched the game, the, the game happened. So there's no point in vacating a win because of the actions of one or two people. Because now you get into situations like what we're discussing right now, where one the, the win is vacated but not necessarily the loss. So now we're getting the confusion, okay, whose record should we go by when we're talking about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry? It is I suppose stupid, I, like the, right? I like it better than, than when they – something that happened in the past costs people in the future who weren't, you know, the players in the future who weren't part of that infraction. I think that's true. Or it takes scholarship scholarship opportunities away from players who were not involved with it. I think anything that's harming the players is stupid, especially players who were innocent in the situation. So let's not get bogged down on this, but let's do it for 60 seconds. When a team breaks a rule, what should the punishment be? If, if if vacating backwards is dumb, if punishing forwards to players who weren't involved is dumb, what should they do? I mean, I think if you start taking away um, coaches' livelihoods for longer yeah. periods of time, then I think that stops a lot of this. You, you hold the coaches, the adults, the paid people responsible. What if it's a player? 100%. What if it's a player who took extra benefits without the coach's knowledge? I mean, then you suspend that player for a game going forward. But 
So what? No, if you, that, the, the situation with Terrell, he they got suspended. They just decided to go pro instead, so they didn't have to deal with the suspension. But most of the time, you just suspend, suspend the player for games going forward. Oh yes, with the coaches, they have bonuses. How come they can't have penalties? If you found out now that LSU players broke rules last year, do you think they should go back and should they do anything to LSU for? Because part of the deal is sometimes you can't punish the person in the moment because the moment's over. So whether it's firing a coach, suspending a coach, suspending a player involved, if the moment's over and something happened at LSU last year, should they do something backwards to take away LSU's title? Should they do something forward to punish LSU's uh, future players? Let's say it's Joe Brady who did it, the offensive coordinator who's gone. Coach O wasn't involved. What would they do? Would you just say, hey, they did this wrong. They broke this rule, and we're acknowledging it, but we're not punishing it because the, the person involved is gone. But we want to point it out, but there's no actual punishment we could do, or there's, and there's something else they should do. His supervisor is Ed Orgeron, so that's who you punish because he's responsible for him because he hired him. So that's who you punish. You take you there. There's your where you get your penalty where you take away some of his livelihood because he hired him. He's the reason he's there. And whether it, him not knowing about it, it's no different from the situation Iowa. You not knowing about it as the head of a program is not a good enough enough excuse. What do you think, Nathan? I agree with that somewhat. Um, and I think it gets really tricky to as far as like determining who has knowledge and who doesn't. I think you get into situations where coaches will kind of wink and a nod like, well, I don't want to know about this because um, that keeps the plausible deniability, but that doesn't mean don't do it. So I, I agree kind of where Steven's saying, but I also think that's why as silly as the retroactive, you know, taking away victories, taking away championships, that sort of thing, it, it seems silly, but at least that's a way to put on the historical record that, um, this team or this player didn't accomplish something on the up and up. Do you think, Nathan, we'll ask you because you're a baseball fella, should the Houston Astros World Series title be vacated? No. If it was in college, it would be. Yeah. Right? 100%. Probably. Uh, they cheated to win. 100% would be. Over a long period of time. But right? there's a, yeah, it's, it's, but, but, but teams that, teams that have things stripped from them, in the, at the college level, it's not so much like a gamesmanship violation. It's usually an amateurism violation. So it's it's a different thing. Which I, so I think it affects if, the if, game if, less. Gamesmanship well, actually affects the game. Yeah. Amateurism doesn't. Right. And well, but which does the NCAA care more about? We can have sure. another six-hour podcast about that. <laughs> um, but like, if a, if a if a if a college world series team were to, if, to have done the same thing that the Astros did and then won the college world series, or or an NCAA basketball team or NCAA or or a football team, if something equivalent, um, would the NCAA strip them of that championship? They might only because they have even more power, I think, than the uh, pro leagues to do that kind of thing. Um, but really, when we've seen it in the past, it's been more about amateurism than it is about supposedly uh, some on-field infraction. From the 216, it's Joseph in Atlanta who has a 216 phone number, but is Joseph in Atlanta. That trips me up every time, too. I yeah. always say 216. I'm like, oh, but Joseph in Atlanta. People, but people, it's weird. People keep their phone numbers. Actually, it makes sense, but I keep my AOL address. I'm never getting rid of my phone number, so... Are are you Stephen? What are you from the six one four? Yeah, it's no point. 
since you mentioned 2010, Joseph asks, how come Ohio State hasn't even asked to add those wins back? With, with USC welcoming back Reggie Bush, with Penn State getting Joe Pa's wins back, and how much public opinion has shifted on player power, it seems like they could make a good argument. Should Ohio State try to get the 2010 wins back? Because I think they might have a case because, Nathan, you made your point. Listen, it was a rule then. You broke the rule. Jim Trestle lost his job. It blew up their 2011 season. They were banned from the postseason in 2012. Terrell Pryor, it ended his career. Dan Heron, Mike Adams, Devere Posey, all these guys missed half a season or more. There was a tangible effect on the people involved. Incredibly tangible. But can you give us our Michigan win back? And there was a backwards, so there was a present-day penalty on the coach and players involved, severe, severe. And, and whether it should be severe or not, you can't argue that it was severe. Jim Trestle lost his job. There was a forward penalty, severe. Ohio State might have played for a national title in 2012 if they hadn't been banned from the postseason. Severe. Can you give us back the Michigan win? Can you take it and just let us have the record book? Do you think they should ask, Stephen? And if they ask, would they have a case? Yes and yes. Yes, they should ask because why not? You know, if you don't get asking, you shall receive sometimes. But yes to the, do they have a case? Because sometimes time just kind of heals wounds. And that's what the Reggie Bush situation is a little bit. That's just, as time goes on, people have kind of, the anger towards him has worn off a little bit. You've seen it with Maurice Claret as well. That anger towards him is, Really, if that would have happened today, people would have been in Maurice Courage's favor, and we saw that with Chase Young. So, yeah, they have a case because we aren't living in those times. It's maybe more player. People are more in the corner of the player than they are the NCAA at this point in time. But also, yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt anything to ask for, for a win back. At the Nathan, worst, they're going to say no. What do you think, Nathan? You know, the, the opening up of the name, image, and likeness opportunities is not going to – retroactively reverse every violation like this. And I, I'm still skeptical that the NCAA is going to go back and say, you're right. Um, we shouldn't have enforced our amateurism rules that way, or that you get off the hook for it. I still think they're going to say the amateurism rules are the, the crux of the NCAA. That's what everything is still going to be built on. And they're going to give people these opportunities for outside income, but I think they're still going to fall back. So, yeah, I think they should ask. There's no harm in, in asking. And I think Gene Smith is and is respected within the NCAA enough that if he's the guy that, that's making that proposal, I think it might be able to get some some traction um, just because of his connections and, and the way that people think of him. But I'm, I'm just skeptical that the NCAA is going to back down from this because then I think it's – in their minds – it's probably a slippery slope. Then how many other things do you start to reverse? And then where, where do, where do your um, infractions really have teeth? I guess the question is, does vacating wins have teeth anyway? Right. I mean, does it, it's, that- it's the thing that in, it's the thing that lingers. It's the punishment that lingers the most, unless you were someone like Jim Trestle who got fired. But for guys who just like, if you, if it's just a, a, a momentary, this or that um, guys move on with their careers, programs move forward. Um, but if it's, this is the one thing that you can look back and see, you know, Oh, every time you look down the list of the teams that made the final four or whatever in basketball, you keep saying like, Oh, where's, where's Memphis? Like, why is that? Where's there a gap there? And you have to go like read the fine print. Like it, it just hangs around. 
it is. It's one of those things. It's like if it didn't matter, you wouldn't be asking us to undo it, right? That it's like yeah. it, that's to your point. It's like, well, you already did all these other things, but it's like, yeah, but this lingers. I think, I think if I was Ohio State as they approach this, I would ask. I would make a strong case and I would make a proposal that the NCAA A, stop vacating wins as a form of punishment and reinstate everything. No more vacating. We're going to punish the people involved. We're not going to punish forward. We're going to rethink how we do punishment. And we're not going to try to be Orwellian and tell you that something didn't happen when it did. We're going to get out of that business. And Ohio State, this specific thing, because of the violation, because it was name, image, and likeness, because, you know, it wasn't something super serious in, like, the world. It wasn't – they didn't break a law in the world. Um, I think they could go down that road, and I think this could be the impetus to go down that road. Because it's Ohio State, because it's the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, and it's one of those things, Nathan, it does linger. But it screws stuff up. This is the biggest rivalry in college sports. And we're talking about, could we be debating this for like a year or two or three? And is that what you want your sport to be? Because this is what you do. So maybe the point is, yes, we want it to linger. Because I don't think you would dispute that it lingers. It lingers. But does it linger good or linger bad? Does it linger punitive or linger silly? And I think the further we get down the line, it might be that it lingers bad and it lingers silly. And I honestly think this could be the case that changes how the NCAA deals with this stuff. Is that too far, Nathan? Is that too far? I think maybe. I think you could also get a situation where could Ohio State and Michigan, if what you're worried about is just the bookkeeping of this, they could come together and come up with a consensus as to what they're calling the win-loss in this rivalry. Would Mich- Why would you let Ohio State off the hook if you were Michigan? Yeah, I'm not – no, I'm not giving a win back to the biggest rivalry in sports, especially if it's not in my favor. I don't know, right? So, if, I mean, I mean if you're still I, counting the loss, I guess I don't see – that's where it gets weird, one team yeah. counting the loss and one team not counting the game at all. I mean, it's awful. This is making my head hurt right now. It's so freaking stupid. And it doesn't matter, but yet it does matter. Because words and numbers and perception and history and record books matter. I hate it, but I swear to God, I think this is potentially gigantic. I think this might take up a whole fall of debate in 2027 or 2026 or 2028 Mm -hmm. or whenever it happens. I think it could be that big of a topic. Sports Talk Radio will love it if radio still exists, if the world still exists six or seven or eight years from now. But it's not fun, right? I'm not even sure this podcast is fun so far. And it's like a thing that doesn't matter except it matters because the rivalry matters. And the record and the rivalry matters. And how in God's name can you have two rivals with two different records in the same rivalry? That is bonkers to me. It makes total sense in the explanation as our text are brought up. But in the real world, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I'm just already anticipating the fight. I will say I looked back and I was trying to find rivalries where there was something similar to this, where there was a rivalry 
and one team was way behind and they finally took the lead. And how, how was it viewed? And one jumped off the page right away. Wisconsin had never led in the Wisconsin-Minnesota rivalry until a couple of years ago. Wisconsin jumped off to a 4-1 start in that rivalry. Then Wisconsin tied it up. They made it 5-5. They made it 6-6. Then Minnesota won on this huge run. Minnesota got as far ahead as 59-46-8 in that series. And then between 2004 and 2017, Wisconsin won 14 straight. Wisconsin won 14 straight to go from 59-46-8 behind to 60-59-8 ahead. So then Minnesota won in 2018 to tie it up again. Then Wisconsin won last year. So Wisconsin leads that rivalry, Wisconsin-Minnesota, which is Paul Bunyan's axe now, but it used to be a bacon rivalry, believe it or not. It was called the slab of bacon or something. And I thought in 2017 when Wisconsin took that lead for the first time ever, I was looking back, I thought there'd be 50 gigantic headlines about it. I couldn't find any. It was like a note in the game notes. This is the kind of thing that I dig in on as a writer. When this gets close for Ohio State, this is the kind of story that I go crazy about. If I covered Wisconsin and they had never led a rivalry for 120 years and they finally took the lead after 120 years, I would have written 5,000 words on it. Do you think, because to me, history matters, rivalries matter, and the record in the rivalry matters. And taking a lead in this, this is much more interesting to me than like the 100th game in a rivalry. I don't love round numbers. I think round numbers we go too nuts for. But something like this, taking a lead in a rivalry, Stephen, would you go crazy over that? Like I'm getting ready if I'm still around. I'm getting ready to go crazy with a series of stories on this. Isn't this a big deal, the idea of this? The year that it's high is when those stories start. And then you spend all of – if if the the year Ohio State ties this, this rivalry, all of Michigan week the next week is going to be, is Ohio State going to pass Michigan finally after X amount of years of being behind in the rivalry? How far they've come from losing the first 13 13- – games against Michigan. Look at where they are now. There's so many story ideas out there from the moment that happened the moment the they, it hits three zeros on the clock when they tie this series up. So yes, that would be the whole week. Along with, should Ohio State be in the college football playoff if they're undefeated going into that game? Nathan, are you in on this? If the three of us are the people covering Ohio State when Ohio State is trying to take the lead, how hard are we going? I think it's a huge storyline that week. Um, as, as, assuming that they talk about it i mean that that's what's probably going to be the th- thing though right like i mean the the we'll, we'll try to get them to talk about it and they'll be oh we're just focused on this game whatever it'll maybe be a bigger storyline um from as far as getting the actual emotion and stuff from the players after the fact yeah and you go to history right i mean that's when you go the the, co- the current players ryan day will be terrible I bet Ryan Day will be like, you know, well, you know, we care about this rivalry, but we're, just, you know, we're what trying you do to get is out find there. Somebody from each decade of the rivalry and you interview them about it and then you write a story about it. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That I think the people who now they're 70 years old, they're 40 years old, they're 25 years old, but it's removed and they're part of it and they stay attached to it and their win or their loss contributes to this record. And now here are these, 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds are, are adding yeah. to it as well. I, I do think second. there's a lot there. I'm going 10 years into the future to set a reminder for myself. Too. You got it on your iPhone? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I'm just going to you know, set a reminder for that year to do that. We, 
we know what we could start now. Like if we like when we get to talk to Justin Fields, we could just start yeah. getting the quotes. Justin, let's you know when Ohio State takes the lead in this series, how will that feel? And you know what? A virtual media day for the Big Ten. I'm going to ask Harbaugh that. Jim, <laughs> that'll be fun. When this happens, how will you feel? Because it's probably going to happen. So listen, I went through a lot of other rivalries. I'm not sure. There's just not a ton where it was like this, where one team's been behind the whole time and now is making it close. There are some rivalries that started lopsided and are still lopsided. And then there are other rivalries that have always been kind of balanced. One other one that wasn't Georgia-Auburn, which I didn't really even know was a rivalry, but they've been playing forever. Georgia leads the Georgia-Auburn series 60-56-8. to At one point, Auburn was ahead 53-48-8. to And then between 2000, from 2006 to the present, Georgia's won 12 of the last 15, and Georgia has taken the lead there. Something like Purdue, uh, Purdue, Indiana, Nathan, you know this, Purdue leads that series by 30 games. Mm-hmm. Purdue 72, 42, and six against Indiana. Kansas, Missouri has been really close, but they've been back and forth over the years. They call that the border war. Missouri leads that 57, 54 to nine right now. They have taken that lead recently by winning the last three, but over, over t- periods of time, it was it's 10-10 in the last 20 years. In in 1956, that rivalry was 30 to 30. So it's been like balanced kind of the whole time. So that's like Kansas and Missouri. That's kind of a thing. Missouri took the lead, but it wasn't like they've been trying to get the lead for a hundred years. Uh, the Egg Bowl, old list, old Miss leads Mississippi State 62-46 to six. Texas Oklahoma, Texas leads that series 62-48 to five. Um, Texas was, was up 29, 11 to two after 1947. Then Bud Wilkinson came along since 1948 on Oklahoma leads that series, but they're still 14 behind overall since 48, Oklahoma is ahead 37, 33 to three, but that's been close. They've gone back and forth kind of like with some 10 year runs, but more balanced than Ohio state, Michigan has been. And then Alabama, Auburn, which really didn't revive until the 40s. They first played in 1907, but then they didn't really start playing every year until 1948. Alabama leads that 46-37 to 1. Um, but since 1982, Auburn actually leads that series 20 to 18. So I tried to give some context of other things, but this is unique. It's the best rivalry in college sports. It's been incredibly, Michigan got out to that huge lead and Ohio State's been chipping away. So we're going to talk more texture answers of when the lead might happen and a little bit of history on who's really responsible on each side for why Michigan has remained ahead and why Ohio state is charging back. You're listening to the Friday podcast from Buckeye talk. We'll be right back. Okay. So the history of this quickly, and I don't want to get bogged down in the history, but, and you know it, I know you know it, but also yet I think it's kind of interesting. And then we get to the texture answers. When Woody Hayes took over, in 1951, Michigan led in this rivalry 31-12 to 4. So pre-Woody Hayes, Michigan was up by 19. Since Woody Hayes took over, Ohio State leads the series 39-27 to 2. And I often use that as shorthand. There's pre, pre-Woody and post-Woody in Ohio State history. So they've made up 12 games since Woody took over. 
But they're down 19 when Woody takes over. By the time Jim Trestle takes over after John Cooper, Ohio State's down 21. So Woody came back. Woody came here. Woody's plus five. Earl Bruce is plus one. So Woody and Earl, they make up six games. John Cooper gives eight back. Two, 10, and one. He gives eight back. Now we're calling Jim Trestle eight and one instead of nine and one. We're just counting the vacated win because until you fight to get it back, Michigan's not going to give it to you, Ohio State fans. Trestle's plus seven. Luke Fickle's minus one. Urban's plus seven. Ryan Day's plus one. So since 2001, since Trestle took over, Ohio State's plus 14. But they were down 21 when Cooper took over. Think about that. All the work Woody did. And, guys, that is part of this historical thing when you talk about getting back to even in a rivalry. For as great as Woody was, in 28 years, he and I don't mean only, but he only made up five games. He was 16-11-1 and 11 and one against Michigan. That's only plus five. He was down 19 when he took over. At that rate, if you did it at the Woody Hayes rate, with where he was when he would took over, it would take 100 years. So like Nathan, when you think about it this way, right, that Woody Hayes defines Ohio State. We know the 10-year war, but he was successful against Michigan, but he's only plus five. Does that give you a little perspective on this? Well, it's just it's a reflection of how good Michigan was at different eras in a lot of ways, um, especially for the past, like, 50 years. Um, and because, you know, right now – I think as we talked before, it's a little bit more about why Michigan can't win this game than why Ohio State keeps winning it to some extent. Um, so when it, it's more a reflection sometimes of just how even it was in certain eras and then how in one era or another, one team just runs away with it. Steven, does that make sense to you, like Woody's plus five? Or like if you were just kind of thinking about it, would you think uh, – I, I don't know. It's like Woody, Woody – and the plus minus contributed less than Trestle and Urban, which I guess we realize in the moment because Trestle and Urban were so dominant. But that to me is just proof of like when you're trying to dig out of a 13-game hole and in 28 years Woody Hayes only gets five back, that tells you how hard something like this is. Yeah, one's the hole, but also just, you know, kind of like how this the story of this rivalry is almost matching Ohio State's kind of rise into this national – level program in the sense that Woody, you know, made it competitive, but it was still from a, from a, you know, God's eye view, still very in favor of Michigan. And then like they took some steps back, but then Trestle came in and, you know, valued the rivalry more. And so Ohio State started to creep in more and it took Trestle doing that. But then also the next step of Urban Meyer turning this into a national program completely from a recruiting standpoint and just a brand standpoint to get to the point where, we are, you know, seven games away from this being a tied rivalry after 100 years or so. So just real quickly, the people who contributed most to the plus minus on the Ohio State side, Trestle's plus seven again. He's 10-1 he's and one on the field, but uh, he's, excuse me, in 10 years, he's 9-1 and one on the field, but he's 8-1 he's and one with the vacated win. So we're counting the vacated win still. So he's plus seven, Urban's plus seven, Woody's plus five, Francis Schmidt's plus one, Ryan Day's plus one, Earl Bruce's plus one. So those are all the people who were plus Ohio State's big problems in the the pre-John Wills era before, you know, when Michigan was was doing this thing early on. That they're all that's the minus twelve, right? For all the coaches before Ohio State kind of got its stuff together, and Cooper's minus eight. So that's the whole hole. It's the the early the early hole thirteen zero and two and Coop. 
That's Ohio State's problem. Michigan, fielding Yost is plus 13, the legend. Fritz Chrysler is plus five. Nobody else is more than plus two for Michigan. Bo's only plus two. Gary Moeller's plus two. A couple of guys are plus one. Nobody else has a winning record. Harbaugh is the biggest minus in, Ohio, in Michigan history. Bump Elliott was minus four. Rich Rod's minus three. Brady Hoke's only minus two. Jim Harbaugh's minus five. So he's dragging them back down and giving Ohio State this chance. When will it happen? And we got to go get a little quick on this because we have lives to lead. I don't. I could sit here and talk all day. I got my juice back. I enjoy the talking again. Told you. But yeah. Nathan, Nathan and Steven have things to do. From the 614, when will they take the lead? I'm going to give the unpopular answer. I don't think they will take this series lead, at least not by 2050. This is based on the idea that the rivalry will balance after Day leaves and he will leave after 10 years at Ohio State. From 20 to 28, Day will go 6-3. and three. Ohio State will be down 4, and Ohio State's next coach will keep Ohio State at a high level but a step closer to Michigan and Penn State. So this person is envisioning, they, they said, Doug, I counted on my hand, so it's right. But then into 2050, they think it's close. It's back and forth. And so that Ohio State, they say, goes 12-10 and 10 in the post-day era. And Ohio State is still two games down by 2050. So that's Ryan Day going 6-3. and three. They go 12-10 and 10 after Ryan Day, but they're still down by 2050. That idea of never, because that's the thing. When you're trying to dig out of a hole, every Michigan win is devastating. Because now if you're 1-0 again, now you got to win two to get back to one ahead. Like, does that seem crazy to you, Nathan, that the answer to this question of when Ohio State might take the lead, and they're seven down right now, is it possible that answer could be never? Sure. Um, and I don't even know necessarily if it has to be a coaching change before this starts to – I don't think Michigan's going to even this thing out and start, like, trading wins and losses year, year out with Ohio State anytime yeah. soon. But I do see them being able to interrupt this eventually. I don't think this, this winning streak is going to go on forever. And if you start getting into a, a scenario where Ohio State, even if they're winning, you know, three out of five or, you know, four out of every six – um, that's still, you know, Michigan's getting a couple back and just keeping you at, at arm's length for a while. And then if it does ever start to even out, they can, they can kind of keep their head above water there. So we'll get into some fanfic. I will tell you that, uh, when I explained it to the texters, again, if you're taking it as seven down right now for them to pass, that means they have to win eight in a row. So that's 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. So if you keep the vacated win and they win every year, the earliest they could pass is 2027. And how many people said that? That was a somewhat popular answer. 18% of respondents said 2027, that they get there immediately by continuing the winning streak. They win eight in a row, and that's when they pass them. The most popular answer was 2029, which is Michigan getting one. Right, so now Ohio State has to get two more, so it delays it till 2029. That got 24% of the response. And then as someone pointed out, someone said, prepare to get answers that are mathematically impossible. Because it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. if it's not 27, it can't be 28, because now you not only – it's not that you yeah. didn't get the win, you have to also make up for the loss that you took. That's the thing. If you're four away and you lose, you're not still four away. Now you're five away again. But – 
I think I allow the impossibilities because it's like, well, what if the win gets unvacated? Or as some people pointed out, what if you don't play in 2020? What if some other stuff comes up that it's not just wins and losses in a single year? So I will tell you that more than half the people said they'd get there by 2029. More than half the respondents said that they'll get it basically on the track of we're continuing to kick Michigan's butt. That's what Ohio State fans are thinking. Other people said it would take a little longer. Someone said this is the furthest out year, 2145. When Woody Hayes the fourth defeats Bo Schembechler the third in the first of a new ten year war. That's from the six one four. And again, I am here for our Ohio State fan fiction. So sometimes questions like this, I like to put them out there because I want to hear what people come up with. Someone said twenty forty five, and they gave a long answer, but it's interesting. From the four one nine, it worries me that many Ohio State fans are taking this game for granted. Mark me down for this game game being closer this year. I just would never bet against Fields, though. So I think we win this year, but but I fear the streak ends in 21. I think after that, we could start a stretch where it's more competitive. I start to see more urgency from them beginning with this year. Harbaugh is putting together a nice class in 21 also, and he's not done. And who's to say right now that Kyle McCord is better than J.J. McCarthy, the two quarterback recruits for these schools in 21? I don't think we will get the overall record under day. I will say at least that much. If we were to get two victories to their every every one, that over a three-year period is two to one, two to one, two to one. Assuming we win in 2020 and lose in 21, that would put us at the year 2045. I'm assuming they did the math. And even a two and one record every three years could be generous. So if Michigan even shows they can somewhat compete with us going forward, this is still a steep mountain to climb. 2045 is the answer. Nathan, what do you think of that answer? Uh, yeah, it's kind of what I was saying before that like you, 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 Ohio State has made this big surge and cut it down, but then it you're still far enough away that every time, like you said, every time Michigan wins one, that's two you got to get back. So if you're winning two out of three, four out of six, um, it's still taking, it still slows down the climb. It's not going to keep. I don't see any way that it can sustain at this rapid of a pace for another decade. This answer from the 419 is the year 2038. It's Brad from the 419. Ohio State will take a 64-63 lead in the series in 2038. I think my math is correct. Brad, I am not double-checking your math, so I believe you. In 2039, Michigan will win to once again even the series, but the win will be vacated and Ohio State will retain the advantage. (laughs) It's just amazing to think how far-fetched this conversation would have seemed when Tressel was first hired. Not that long ago. And now the thought of the Buckeyes taking the series lead at some point feels inevitable. We had a never out there. Steven, do you think it feels inevitable or is that too far of a bridge? I think that's too far. I think they're, the who, who said never is maybe anticipating that at some point things are going to swing back in Michigan's favor as far as who's dominating the rivalry for a decade. And as of right now, if we look at the last two games as proof, nothing indicates that things are going to swing back in the Michigan's favor anytime in the next, you know, five years, at least on a consistent enough basis for them to be dominant in the rivalry, at least. I think that's one of those things. I think the texter made a really good point about like a two and one kind of feel, right? Yeah. Um, Cause so it's like over, you know, over a nine year period, that's six and three, that's really good. But again, it's not, it's not seven and oh, Right. So I think it it is. It doesn't take much for this to all of a sudden start stretching out. I don't I think I land somewhere in the idea of I don't think Michigan's going to start 
having an edge in the rivalry necessarily anytime soon. But I also think that they'll stop losing every year. And once you do that, it's going to slow it down, slow down the, t- the clock a little bit. From the 2-1-6, a couple people said 2037 is when it will happen. This person said no game in 2020. It will take the Buckeyes until 2037. They'll go 12-4 and four with no game this year. That's 17 years. A couple other answers also for 2037. 2037, which is 18 seasons, Ohio State's 13-5 and five during that time and goes up 64-63-2. to two. Brian Hartline is the head coach when it happens, defeating Mike Hart's Michigan squad. And then a super long one from the 863 for 2037. That means Ohio State has a 700 winning percentage over the next 17 years, which is still dominating the rivalry quite handily. While I think the game is a better rivalry than the Iron Bowl, I look to the Iron Bowl to compare dominance. In the last 10 years, Alabama's 6-4 and four versus Auburn, and Ohio State's 9-1 and one with the asterisk. In those 10 years, Auburn was ranked seven of the 10 years when they played with three top 10 rankings. Michigan was ranked six of the 10 years they played with three top 10 rankings. So Michigan and Auburn are similar, but yet Ohio State's winning nine out of 10. Alabama's winning six out of 10. I'm not sure if the gap between Ohio State and Michigan is that much wider than the gap between Bama and Auburn, as the records of the last 10 years suggest. This is a really good point from the 863. But I think Michigan has to start winning a couple over the next 10 years, just like Auburn does to Alabama. If you expand it to the last 17 years in the rivalries, Ohio State is 15-2 and two versus Michigan. Auburn is actually 9-8 and eight versus Alabama. So maybe the gap is quite large and no randomness is needed. Ultimately, who knows, but I will say 2037. I think doing a comparison like that is really smart. And again, would show you how it wouldn't take much for Michigan just to get more competitive and slow it down. Nathan, the idea of factoring in no game in 2020. Our market down Monday at the start of this week was all about how many games we think are going to be played quickly on this because we have to get out of here. We don't want to make it sound like homework. With what's happened with COVID-19, more positive tests, what's happening in the country, does the idea – because Ohio State-Michigan, right, if they play one game this year, it's going to be Ohio State-Michigan. Are you in a different spot at all here on Friday than you were on Monday about the 2020 season? Uh, no, I'm still thinking that we're we're in a period of ebbs and flows, and we need a lot could stabilize over the next two months. And so late season games right now, I think, are still more likely than these early season non-conference games. And they almost become the late season games almost become more likely if they bail on the early season games and worry more about health and practice uh, safety pra- health practices than they do about um, football. As I said on Monday, the quotes from like athletic administrators and whatever still are not persuading me. I thought the most tangible thing that was important that maybe lessened your confidence in the season that happened this week was the USC saying they're not going to now plan on campus classes, that they had planned on that. And now they're backing off that and thinking more about maybe a full online schedule. And I think we've all said that if, if, there's no other students on campus. It's going to be hard to play football. So if you see st- – part of why I thought there would be season is because colleges were saying, Notre Dame, other colleges were saying, we're coming back, we're coming back, we're going to have students on campus. But if you start to see the colleges as a whole across the country pull back and say, nope, 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 we're not going to have students on campus, it's going to be online only, that is a tangible effect, I think, on the prospects of college football. And there was at least one small step that direction this week. Uh, someone who voted for 2033 getting the record nine from the 937. Is that your answer? Yeah. 
And I have a whole scenario for it, but I'm going to let the texture go first because they're more important. Ohio State will take the lead in 2033. They will go 11-3 and in that stretch to take the lead. Ryan Day will go 9-2 and to tie up the series, and he will leave for the NFL. Michigan will win the next one, and we will have to hear them brag about how they are back and how they will never give up the series lead again. Then the Buckeyes win the next two, with the last one being in Michigan, and the players will celebrate on the M at midfield. Love the fanfic. All right, Stephen Means, you're up. What's your, what's your explanation of why your answer was 2033? Okay, the first thing I had to do is remember what year I picked Michigan to win the next game, and I, it was 2025. So I said Ohio State 2020, 21, 22, 23, 24. And then Michigan finally gets one when the bulk of this 21 class is, is gone. And then Ohio State wins the next three. So now it's 59 to 59 heading into 2029, where Michigan does enough to pull out that win just to take the game back. So now Ohio State needs to win two more. So then Ohio State wins in 60-60, to 60, and then in 2031, Michigan wins again. So now, once again, Ohio State needs to win back-to-back, and then they win the next two in 2032 and 2033 to finally take the lead. Do you think, Stephen, that could be some kind of motivating factor for Michigan, that when those players, that it could be a tangible thing of yeah. like, well, we're the wall, we have to mm-hmm. repel the White Walkers, we can't let the Buckeyes take this series lead that we've held for 130 years? It becomes a, almost a game of cat and mouse where their Ohio State's this close, but all, Michigan does just enough when it's tied up to make it so, okay, now you've got to win two more. So now you've got to start all the way. It's been, you get knocked. It's like Donkey Kong. You get knocked down. Now you got to start all the way at the bottom and climb your way back up to the top again. Nathan, do you have a hard year answer that you came up with? So again, are we saying 58 and 51 or 58 and 52? So I said 58 and 51. That's what I meant. I did too. That's what I told yeah. the texters to stick to because I don't think Michigan's just going to hand it back. And it's one of those things. You can think you have the record, but if Michigan's going around saying, yeah, you don't have the record, you know, then you're going to want to make it so that Michigan is forced to say, yeah, you've got the record. So it's not even about what Ohio State fans think. If there's any part of the record book, there's going to be some segment of the Michigan population that points to that. So I think that will be a milestone so I think you have to include the vacated win until it's unvacated by the NCAA. So, yes, 58 and 51. Let me do some quick math here then. I'm sorry. I had gone off the 52. Because you live in the world. You are a realist, not an Orwellian, you know, wiper outer of stuff. Let me start. I'll, I'll do this. The people who said 2029, which is basically Michigan getting one so that Ohio State has one half step back. So it's not that they win the next eight. From the 937, so tough not to be an Ohio State homer here. Hard time imagining Michigan not getting the best of them once or twice over that span. There have been some very close games in this run, and it's hard to believe it doesn't bounce Michigan's ways at least once in the next eight games. Going to say 2029 in this one, as much as it hurts to think about. that, Like, it hurts to think about that it won't be 2027. Uh, From the 423, 2029, I think we'll take 10 games, barring some surge at Michigan. I think Michigan can manage to win one of the games, but I don't really see anything more than that in the future unless something drastic happens. From the 614, I'll take eight out of the next 10. So in 2029, Ohio State will celebrate the lead in the rivalry. Could be a great goal for Ryan Day before leaving Columbus. That's Evan in Oregon. From the 816, we have dominated this series for the past 20 years, and the gap between the two programs is only widening. So I think the Buckeyes will continue to dominate for at least the next decade. Just as with each of the last two decades, Michigan will get one win, though. That means we should take the series lead in 2029. Two more for 2029. From the 209, 
By 2029, let's be honest with ourselves. It would be real hard to win eight more in a row. I see a loss or two. It's a good, honest answer. And from the 419, I just can't see them winning like 17 in a row without a hiccup. I can't wait to shove that in my Michigan friends' faces after their incessant comments about looking at the overall record. There are some Ohio State fans who are truly anticipating this. Nathan, what's your answer? So I picked, um, as I did on the, the podcast we did before, I picked Michigan to win in 21. I have them winning then in Ohio Stadium in 24. Ohio State wins three of the next five. And then Ohio State still controls the series after that, but Michigan starts to peel a few more off, especially when they have to go up to Ann Arbor. So I have it in 2039 Ohio State winning to take a 64-63-6 to lead in the series. I like it. Again, some of the mathematical stuff, 2028 doesn't quite work unless some other funky stuff happens with a non-vacated win or maybe they don't play in 2020 or whatever. So, like, it's a little bumpy, but – Thing, bumpy things happen. So 2028 answers can make sense. Some people who said that from the 614, 2028 would be my answer. Ohio State has shown they are a tier above Michigan, but I think Michigan will get lucky against a weaker banged up Ohio State team at some point in the next eight years. Maybe it's in 2027 when Day's contract expires. Uh, also on the 2028 bandwagon from the 740. I say 2028, Michigan gets a win somewhere in there. History tells us maybe more than one, but I think they're a little cursed. Their arrogance and delusion is cursing their program. I hope they rot from the inside out. That's an Ohio State fan for you. There we go. There we go, Texters. From the 614, I don't know why I think Michigan will eventually beat Ohio State, but it seems impossible to dominate a rivalry rivalry so intense for so long, bound to slip up once. That's why they didn't say 27. From the 706, if there's a season in 2020, I say if, then it's 27. If no season, I say 28, especially if Coach Day is still coaching. The gap between the two is getting wider. And then fanfic, I labeled it fanfic about 2028. It's kind of long, but it's pretty good. This is real. This is like, this is the thing why I think this discussion matters, why I think the debate over the vacated win matters, because this matters. And this is real from the 502. From the 502. In 2002, I hoped Ohio State would pass Michigan in my lifetime. I'm 40. Now I think it will happen in the 2020s, specifically 2028. In the spring of 27, four-time national champion head coach Ryan Day leaves to coach the Patriots after Belichick wins his 13th Super Bowl. Cam Newton breaks Tom Brady's record with seven Super Bowl rings. Caught off guard with the decision, Ohio State hires someone who went through the Saban Image Rehabilitation Program, Bill Davis. He hires Tim Beck to run the offense. The Buckeyes go 6-7 and seven and 27 and lose to Michigan's Matt Campbell, who was 0-4 against Ohio State coming into 2027. Rookie head coach Corey Dennis remembers how Doug LaMarie said he wasn't qualified for the quarterback coach job in 2020 and obliterates everyone on the schedule. So he's taken over for Bill Davis. Nick Saban retires immediately after the 28 game, a 40-point loss. En route to the championship, Dennis leads the Buckeyes to a win over Michigan to take the lead. Having done everything you can do in one year, Dennis takes the job as the Browns head coach and leads them to a 12-4 and record and a first-round playoff loss. First-round playoff loss, he's not a miracle worker. So that's a good shot at the Browns, that you can't win a playoff game with the Browns, even after you do all that other stuff. Corey Dennis, the coach in charge, when Ohio State takes the lead. Let's get down to the 2027 people who voted for, they're just going to run it out from here. From the 219-2027, and I hope Harbaugh is still a coach so I can laugh at his tears. 
from the 404. 2027, meat, chickens, or toast. Bucks are a recruiting juggernaut when Michigan kicks the goofball to the curb. They will pick a player's coach to match their persona and resort to playing the false academic superiority card. From the 937, I think it will be 2027, but Michigan will win one in there. Here's what's going to happen. In 23, Ohio State and Michigan are 1-2 in the game. Ohio State beats them close and wins the Big Ten Championship. Michigan goes to the four spot in the playoff, and they rematch in the playoffs. I was wondering when someone was going to bring this up. Ohio State wins, making Kyle McCord a four-time winner against them in three years. Then ashamed of his performance, McCarthy comes back as as a senior and finally beats Ohio (laughs) State in 24. Nathan, you were wondering about that, huh? Well, and even more so when we go to an 18 playoff. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is. And that's, again, these bumps. Some of these bumps are interesting. Can you count that, though? If it's a playoff. I mean, do we want to have another like heated debate about yeah, whether yeah. it counts or not? I think it's fascinating. I don't know. I, I think there's a debate. I would say, yes, you count it, but I bet you some people wouldn't, right? There would at least it, be a debate. It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation for a longer podcast probably, but it's interesting, but I don't know. If, it's part of what makes the Alabama home home series such a, a big deal is the fact that every other time they've met has been postseason play. And that's, so I don't know if, I mean, yeah, obviously whoever wins is going to count it because it's another win over the arrival. But, I, I mean, that's a conversation. Yeah, right? Like with a lot of stuff, the winner would count it and the loser wouldn't. Yeah. But you I mean, got to figure start something out, out. Yeah, when you start getting out in the 20, 2030, 2040 realm, I mean, who knows what the Big Ten conferences look like at that point. There could be ways where they play in the regular season and it still could play for a Big Ten championship. Yeah, right. And I, I hope it's still at the end of the regular season at the very least. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And it's, and that's why, I mean, they've been doing it from since the 18, the late 1800s. And it's, and here we are. And it's still, there's still enough binding it together that we can make a real comparison and we can count things up. So that's why I like this because it's history that matters and it's history that connects us. Two more from the 317. 2027, when despite guaranteeing a victory, first-year head coach Mike Hart falls short in the big house as defensive coordinator Chase Winovich ends revenge tour two by giving up a Don Brown-like 50-burger to the Buckeyes. So there were a couple other ones in there. Again, we had some various answers. More than half the people said it would happen by 27, 28, or 29. 27 is the first year at Ken when you count the vacated win. And let me finish with this because, again, this is real from the 310. 2027 or 2028, this is the most important record to me. This is the competition and what the program fights for. National championships and Big Ten championships are the reward for building a team good enough to beat Michigan. As someone who remembers the 90s and always did the math, trying to figure out if Ohio State could just go 600 against Michigan, that was the best that was even remotely imaginable, a 600 winning percentage, and trying to figure out if Ohio State could get within striking distance of this record in my lifetime. I'm in my mid-40s now. It is just astounding to think about. That's from the 310. That's real. That's why I wanted to talk about this. Because if I, to me, this is the kind of thing that I would think about as a fan. And I would track it. And I would think about, could it happen while I was alive? And that's why I wanted to talk about this, even though it was theoretical, even though it was a little long, even though it was a little weird, it's real. I hope we figure it out so we can debate it together and not argue over stupid stuff. But I think this matters. And if I'm covering Ohio State when the Buckeyes get close, I'm going to blow this out, baby. Count on that for sure. Um, Nathan and Steven, any last words, Steven, before we get out of here and we get back to our lives? 
No, um, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday. And yes, I hope that this does happen in the next 10 years. So all these story ideas that we kind of threw out there already can come to pass. Nathan, you got anything else to add? No, I mean, it's going to be an interesting thing to write about for whoever is covering this team in 2047. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Corey Dennis, the sixth, and Doug Maurice the sixth, and Stephen Means, and Nathan Baird, the sixth. We'll see what happens. All right, guys. Thanks so much for hanging in. It was a little weird, but it was a little funky, and, and uh, in the end, it matters. It really does matter. So for Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. Enjoy July 4th, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.